something should be done, but we think that's the healthy way to do church. And so it would be sad if we had, you know, baby dedication day. Well, we don't have any babies this year, but, but maybe next year we'll have one. No, instead of that, we had 17 little babies up here crying, moms and dads holding those babies. And then I'm looking out in the audience, and I'm, and I'm seeing older people and middle-aged people. I'm looking out, and I'm seeing folks who are raising teenagers. You see, we're the body of Christ, and we want to be a church of all generations. And so I just thought, wow, what a wonderful picture of our vision right before us just a few moments ago. Vision Sunday, Vision Offering Sunday is coming up on June the 3rd. Hope you're planning to be with us on that day as uh, we give generously so that we can reach out to young families and we can bless young families. Uh, your contribution on that day goes to a lot of wonderful visionary ministries. So just just uh, be planning on that just a couple of weeks away. We're three weeks away, I think, on uh, June the 3rd. Well, we want to especially welcome our mothers, and today we're talking about the importance of the church, and mothers are incredibly important to our church. Have you noticed more often than not, mothers, wives, they're the ones who often set the spiritual temperature in our families. And so moms, we want you to know that we are grateful for you every day. But we're especially grateful for you today. If there are dads in the rooms who are just now realizing it's Mother's Day, you're in deep trouble. But anyway, maybe you can make up for that. It's an old story, but I like it. Uh, mom goes into her son's room to wake him up for church. How many moms can already relate to this story? So the boy rolls over and says, I don't want to go. And the mom says, come on, come on, get up. We're, we're going to be late. And the boy said, give me two good reasons why I should go to church this morning. And the mom said, well, first, you're 36 years old. And second, you're the preacher. <laughs> you know, the truth of the matter is, all of us at times, even preachers, all of us at times, struggle with the idea of church. And yet what I want to say today in, in our message is that the church is God's primary way to accomplish his purpose on earth. Church is very, very important. Now, growing up in my family, there was a time when, especially when we were little, church, our church attendance was somewhat sporadic. And I may have told you this story before, but, it's, but it really, it's a story about a pivotal moment in the life of our family. I'll never forget it. It was one Sunday morning. We weren't going to church. My sister and I were just little kids. And so we decided to go outside and play. Mom and Dad were asleep. And there was a preacher who happened to be driving by. He drove by several weeks in a row, and he saw we were oftentimes playing outside, and so he put two and two together and realized, well, this family probably doesn't go to church. And so one Sunday morning, the preacher stops, and he goes up to our door, knocks on the door, wakes my dad up. My dad comes out, and he said, Sir, I've noticed that, that your kids you know, aren't going to church. Would you mind if my wife and I took them to church with us next Sunday morning, only be gone a couple of hours, church is right down the street. And my dad said, thank you very much, but no. And guess where we were next Sunday morning? We were in church. And not only were we just in church, but, but that I think was really kind of a wake-up call for my father in a way. 
not only were we just in church, but, but suddenly we started to get more and more engaged in church. We'd been traveling about 8 or 10 miles away uh, to where we would worship, but several families in this little small town where we lived had a similar church background, and so we all got together and decided we would plant a church. And so when I was in the 7th or 8th grade, suddenly not only are we just going to church, we're planting a church, and I'm very, very engaged in the life of that church. I have a feeling that had it not been for that moment in our life, in our family's life, that moment when my dad said, we're going to church, I wouldn't be standing in front of you here this morning, and more than likely, I wouldn't be doing the kinds of things that I do with my life. I believe many today in our culture undervalue the role and the importance of church. And yet, if you read your, your Bible carefully, if you read it closely, you'll notice that the Scripture has a very high view of the church. Now, in our belief series, we've looked at five key beliefs that are, that are more uh, vertical in nature, that have to do with our relationship with God. But these next five beliefs we're going to look at are more horizontal in nature. That is, it has to, do with, uh, has to do more with our relationship with one another. Now, God has always had a vision to live in community with his people. Adam and Eve rejected this vision, but, but God did not give up on them. And so God raised up this incredible leader in Genesis chapter 12 by the name of Abraham. And through Abraham, this, this nation developed, this people developed. And from that nation of people, from one of the tribes, the tribe of Judah, the Messiah would eventually come. That people, they were raised up to be a blessing to our world. And eventually Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah. Jesus lives on this earth. And what does Jesus do? Jesus develops his own little community of 12. 12 men that he poured his life into. 12 men that would be used to bless the world eventually you know the story more than likely Jesus goes to a cross he dies for all of our sins on the third day he's raised up by the power of God and then for the next 40 days and this part of the story we don't often hear much about but for the next 40 days Jesus he teaches about the kingdom of, of God he spends time with his disciples. He spends time with these men and women telling them about the kingdom, the reign and rule of God. And then, after that 40-day period, the disciples were with him. Jesus, he begins to ascend. He ascends up into the clouds. He raises up into the clouds. They can't see him any longer, and suddenly Jesus is gone. And the disciples must have wondered, what's next? I mean, is it all over? Shall we just go about doing good on our own? Well, in the book we know in our New Testament says Acts, that's really the story of the what's next. Because you see, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1, it talks about that former book that, that Theophilus wrote that, that talked about all that it was written to Theophilus, Luke wrote, written to Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. But now, now there's something more. The story continues. And so the disciples, they don't leave Jerusalem after Jesus ascends into heaven. They're told to wait. And while they wait, they pray. And finally, on the day we know of the day called Pentecost, this is 50 days after the Passover, Pentecost. It was a Jewish feast day. It was a Jewish 
harvest festival, on this incredible harvest festival, God is about ready to show us this incredible harvest that's, that's, that's going to, to happen. And so the disciples are together, and they're in the upper room, and they hear a wind. Luke tells us it's a violent wind. And I wonder, did it sound like a tornado? I'm not certain. But what I do know, that wind or spirit that they experienced in Acts chapter 2 is the same wind or spirit that we read of in Genesis that swept across that dark primordial water and brought order out of chaos. That's what the Holy Spirit always does. The Holy Spirit brings order out of the chaos. And so here's, here's someone, Peter, who was cowardly and who denied Jesus, but now Peter, suddenly he's filled with the Spirit, and now Peter is standing in front of thousands of people on this feast day. He's proclaiming Jesus with incredible boldness. And thousands of people respond. 3,000 men and women respond to this, this message that, Jesus, that, that Peter preaches. 3,000 men and women are baptized into Jesus' name. And this thing we know as church is born. And they don't stay in Jerusalem. They do for a time. But they're told in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 serves as kind of an outline for the entire book of Acts. We see the movement of the church. It begins in Jerusalem. It moves to Judea and Samaria. But by the time we come to the end of the book of Acts, the gospel and the church is growing and thriving, and it's producing itself all over the world. And so today... We're a part of that incredible movement. Now, as I said a moment ago, in our culture, I, I'm, I feel like the church is often undervalued and I believe at times misunderstood. I remember once when I was living in New Mexico and I invited someone to come to church with me. And this is the first time I ever heard, heard someone say this. It was quite stunning, really, but I thought, you know, we were living in, out in New Mexico and that culture it was kind of an unchurched sort of culture. The South we have a lot of churches here. We do a lot of church in the South. Out West, we didn't. I invited this person to come with me to church. I'll never forget what, what he said. He said, well, you know, Sunday, Sunday is our time. Sunday is our family time. And I didn't say this, but I wanted to say, well, you know, the best thing you can do for your family the best investment you can make in your family's life is to make sure they're involved in the life of the church. The best thing you can do is to make sure your kids and, you, and, and everyone in your family is gathering together regularly to praise and adore the Lord. It sets the, the, the course for the entire week. It helps get your focus right. Colin Smith says we have a lot of metaphors for church, pictures for church that really aren't very, very helpful. For instance, sometimes when we think of church, we think of it as a gas station, a place to fill up our spiritual tanks and recharge, spiritually speaking. Some think when they hear the word church, they think of, of a theater, really, a place where we come to watch others perform. The preacher, maybe the worship leader, is the performance. The rest of us sit and kind of critique the performance. Still others, when we think of church, we see a drugstore. We, we think the church is the place where we come to ease our psychological pain. Or how about this one? Some people, when they think of church, they think of it as a big box retailer, a one-stop producer of programs for children and families and teens and senior adults. Someone else compared the church to a tourist destination. 
like Disney World, a place to drop in for a while, to kind of visit with little sense of commitment or permanence. That's how some folks view church. And while there's some truth in some of those analogies, I mean, I I want this to be an experience for you where your spiritual batteries are recharged. I mean, I want you to be inspired after we gather in this place. I want you to come into this place and have this sense that, that Jesus will help my psychological pain if I'll lay my burdens down at his feet. I mean, there's some truth in some of this. I want this to be a place that thinks carefully and diligently about programming for our, our teens and, and children and young adults and senior adults. I mean, I want all of that. But those images don't quite do it for me. You see, those images promote the idea that the church is a place we visit instead of a community where we live. Those images don't help us to see the tight connection between Jesus and this thing we know as church. And so Paul gives us two images that I think are very important today as we think about church. The Apostle Paul helps us to see, first of all, that that the, the church, as we sang just a moment ago, is the body of Christ. I love how he describes the church in Ephesians chapter 4. He pictures this church as this healthy body. And so he writes in verses 15 and 16, as he describes the church, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body is held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. There's a lot there, a lot of images regarding how how this body works. I mean, the body is something that's so intricate and and works together. Uh, He talks about how important it is for every part of the body to to do its work, that every part is needed and essential. He talks about the connection that we have. You know, if, if a part of my body is not connected to the body, it begins to die. There's life in the connection, and there's spiritual life for you as you're, in, as you're connected to this body. But really, the one thing regarding that image that I want us to see is this. The church is the chief means by which Christ today does his work. The greatest compliment ever paid to the church may be Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, where Paul says, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that is Christ, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. And then notice this next line, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What an amazing statement. We, the church, we are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way people you see get a glimpse of Jesus by the way we behave, by the way we interact with our world, by the way we interact with one another. Do you see how important unity is? Unity in the life of the church is absolutely essential because it says something about the Jesus that we serve. And so whatever Jesus would do, the church must do. We're Jesus' hands. We're we're Jesus' feet. Whatever Jesus would do, wherever Jesus would go, those are the kinds of things we should do and places we should go. I look at all the things our church does in this community. Uh, Just this past week, uh, we opened our building to LSSD uh, pre-K sign-up. We do that every year. This building on Friday was filled up with people signing up their little kiddos for preschool, uh, for pre-K. And so I was out and I was talking to a lot of the folks and meeting folks, mingling around with people. And, and a lady said to me, after she found out I was the preacher here, she came up to me and she said this. 
She said, I'm just so grateful for all the things your church does for and in our community. Now, why is it that we do those things? I mean, why, why do we, every August, have school store where we give away hundreds and hundreds of backpacks and supplies and, and on all the rest? Why is it that we uh, build habitat houses? Why is it that we're interested in Hearn House, this, this house that we rent where men can come and live after they've experienced some difficulty and hardship and can be trained and taught a, a skill? Why is it that we um, go on mission trips to kind of out-of-the-way places? They're expensive, places like Honduras and even Africa and Mexico, places that sometimes aren't as safe as we might wish for them to be. Why is it that we encourage you to give generously, like on, on June the 3rd for our vision offering? Why is it that we do all of these things? Simply put, we are the body of Christ. We're Jesus' hands. We're Jesus' feet. Wherever he, he would go, we must go. Whatever he would do, we must do. And, and when people see the church functioning in that healthy kind of way, they get a vision for the head of the church. We're the fullness of him. It fills everything in every way. We're the body of Christ. But there's one other image. One other image that Paul uses we'll close with, and it's this. The church is the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, you have this paragraph at the very end of that chapter where it appears that Paul is talking about husband-wife relationships. In fact, I often use this paragraph of Scripture in, in weddings. Uh, sometimes I'll do it in premarital counseling. We'll read through Ephesians chapter 5, and it talks about how wives are to love and respect, their, uh, their, to respect and honor their husbands. It talks about how husbands are to love and lead their wives. But down at the end of the paragraph, Paul really helps us to understand what he's getting at. For he says in Ephesians 5 and verse 32 this, this is a profound mystery. And can we just all agree that marriage is a profound mystery? I mean, it really is a mystery. He says, this is a profound mystery. And then he says, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. He wants us to somehow grasp, to somehow understand how deeply Jesus loves his bride, the church. I mean, I see that every time I do a wedding right here, when I'm standing here and the groom is right there and the bride is in the very back and the door's open and the lovely music is playing and she's dressed in this beautiful white gown and, that, and I get to look at that, that groom. He looks back there. Ah, oh, his breath is taken away. He sees her. She's so beautiful. And she gets closer to him. And sometimes, I mean, I, I love those moments when the groom is... I mean, it happens some. The groom's a mess. I mean, he just starts weeping and, and crying because he, he sees her and she's so beautiful and the moment is so tender and wonderful. And what Paul is saying is that's how Jesus thinks about us. He loves us in that way. He loves us like that, that groom loves the wife, the, the, the bride-to-be. And when we feel this love, when we experience this love, it, it transforms us, it changes us, it, it makes us better. It makes me better. Sometimes when I'm doing marriage counseling or, or, or premarital counseling, I will say something like this. You've probably heard me say this. I will want that couple to imagine what it's like 50 years down the road. I'll say, can you imagine that? Let, let's just go down memory lane. Let's just imagine 50 years from this moment, Let's, let's imagine your kids. Now, now you've got some kids. They don't have kids, but now they've got some, you've got some kids, and they're putting together 
They're putting together your 50-year wedding anniversary celebration. What do you want your kids to say about your marriage? What do you want your kids to say about your relationship? And then, then I'll get real, I mean, I'll challenge the dads a lot. I'll challenge the men a lot. I'll say, men, 50 years from now, this woman that you're marrying right now, what will she say about you? How will your wife be 50, after 50 years of marriage with, with you? Will her spirit be more open? Will she be more beautiful, more vibrant because of your love for her? Will she be closer to Jesus because of your faith and your influence? You see, that's the way it is with Jesus. Jesus loves us in that kind of way. Jesus loves us with this incredible love that really is transformative. His, his love is deep and abiding. The bride of Christ only becomes more beautiful after we've experienced that kind of love. So let me ask you a question. Do you love what Jesus loves? You see, Jesus, he loves the church. He absolutely adores us. He absolutely adores the bride of Christ. Do you love what Jesus loves? You see, I don't love the church because it's perfect. Uh, you've heard the old statement, you know, as soon as you find a perfect church, uh, don't join it because then suddenly it wouldn't be perfect if you were a part of that church. I mean, you know, church is not a perfect place. I don't love the church because it's perfect. I don't love the church because it's uh, the church in, con uh, in concept. Uh, you know, the, the, the church, we think this big concept, bride of Christ, body of Jesus, all that. I don't love the church that way so much. I love this body. I love this church. I love College Hills Church. I love this church because I get to, to watch how, how you honor, how we honor those to whom honor is due, as we did last Sunday morning when, when we had a wonderful day of celebration our brother Larry Locke who passed away. I love this church. I love this church because I look around and I see men and women who are serving hard in ministry. Uh, they're, not, they're not paid. Uh, they, they give money and time and energy. You know, I, I look around and, and, and Jim and Annabelle Robinson, you know, as they're running around trying to get everything ready for school store, they work on that all year. I, I love this church because of people like that. I, I love this church because of good men who step up to be shepherds, elders. It's a tough task, but boy, it is such a blessing to be able to shepherd a body. And these men aren't paid. These men ha are, have busy lives, and yet, yet they serve because they love you. I love this church because this is a place where if you've experienced brokenness, if you've experienced a divorce, if you've experienced hardship, you can come here. And you're not going to be judged. You're not going to be turned away. You're, you're going to be loved. And hopefully you'll become a better person, closer to Jesus. I, I love this church because I, I love how we open our arms to people who struggle with addictions. A lot of people in this room who struggle with addictions. I love this church because we are a church that's striving to love the lost and the least and hurting. I love this church because you see, when you understand you're a part of something so much bigger than any one of us and we get to have a small part in it. I love this church. So this morning I'm wondering, 
you're part of the church you see the church like kind of visiting Disneyland I kind of show up a little bit but you know I'm not really committed there's no sense of permanence or do you understand this church is a body and I don't know if you're a hand or a foot I don't know what you are it doesn't really matter but you are important and you are invaluable you're valuable and we're glad you're here today if you're not a part of the church if you're far away from God we'd love to help you Jesus invites you to become a part of his his church he loves you like that groom loves a bride and he invites you to be a part of his family.